The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised by the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please be seated. If you'd like to go uh, for children's church, ages five through fifth grade, but don't worry, they don't card anybody. Uh, they're leaving out the corner of this back room. Skylar is over here waving by this sign, and she will take kiddos in or near that age group. Uh, you are welcome to go with her. This morning, we have a guest preacher, a friend of mine named Crawford Stevener. He's the RUF pastor at Stanford. And so they picked a really smart guy to be the RUF pastor for really smart kids at Stanford, and that's who he is. He and I have been friends for a while, and he married a Chattanooga, Chattanooga native, and her parents are the ones who are landlords here at Stratton Hall in the Peyton. So we are very grateful for their family. He's married and has four kiddos, and he's come here to give me the week off from preaching and to let me rest a little bit this past week. And he's written a fresh sermon for you. A lot of times when you get a guest preacher, they're giving you a rerun. But he was willing to jump in with us and preach the next text. So very grateful for him, and I encourage you uh, to turn your hearts to God's Word and to listen for this very encouraging word this morning. Crawford, please come. Thanks, Jared. It is um, great to be here this morning. Uh, I love this. I love this church. Um, I'm glad to be able to visit it in person. Uh, I love the mission of this church for the greater Chattanooga area, and I love your pastor. And I'm looking forward to um, spending some time with you this morning in God's Word. As, as Jared said, I'm a campus minister with RUF. I live in Palo Alto, California, which is a long way from here, um, but it's, I'm looking forward to being here for a few weeks uh, to visit uh, my wife's family and uh, through the Thanksgiving holidays. So, But that's enough about me. We're here to um, look at God's Word together and to see what uh, 
God's Spirit will speak to how, how he will speak to us through his word today. Um, you may have heard so far in the Philippians series, if you've been um, attending here uh, throughout the last several weeks, that Paul's letter to the Philippians is a letter that has this theme of joy. The word joy and the word rejoice come up all throughout uh, the letter. And it's actually surprising when you think about it because Paul is writing this letter from prison, not a place you typically think of as a place full of joy. How can he have joy in such a difficult situation? It's a little bit startling. It's kind of unsettling. It reminds me of when we yell at our children, stop screaming! Like, how do you... How do you tell someone to stop screaming by yelling at them? How do you tell somebody to have joy when they're going through a difficult time? It feels like it's a command uh, that you can't really give somebody. Be happy! Feel really good! Well, those are hard things to control. Why can Paul do this? How can Paul write a letter to a people knowing the reality of the world and say, rejoice, have joy? The reason Paul can do this is because he is supremely confident in one thing. And this confidence and this one thing will change your life. It changed Paul's life. It's changed mine. And I invite you to reflect on that today uh, here as Restoration Southsiders. So let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is given to us uh, for our encouragement and for our good. God, you say that your word is powerful, that it's sharp and like a, like a two-edged sword, that it can pierce our very hearts. And so we invite you now by your Holy Spirit to, to change us. Uh, through my bumbling words, may you speak. God, you say that your word does not come back to you empty or void, but always accomplishes its purposes. So accomplish your purposes in us this morning by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So where is your confidence that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you could actually experience something like joy? Where is your confidence that that sort of crippling anxiety that sometimes overwhelms when you're aware of the state of the world won't consume you? What's your hope? What's your confidence? What's your trust that everything is going to be okay? If the coronavirus pandemic combined with an election cycle uh, has taught us anything, uh, it's taught us of the fragility of our world, of the um, uncertainty of the events that are to come, of the fragility of our economy, of our nation, of our expectations for travel, and for future gatherings, to plan anything. Uh, If you're anything like me, you found yourself saying, I don't know, more than ever in 2020. Should we go visit grandma in her home? I I don't know. Should we put our kids in school? I don't know. Should we take classes online or in person? I don't know. Should we get on a plane and fly from California to Chattanooga for November? Yes, the answer was yes to that question. But, But we didn't know. My family and I didn't know. There's so much uncertainty. Things seem to change every week. And it's really shaken us. It's shaken our confidence. It's shaken our confidence in um, the world around us. It's shaken our confidence in our, in our country, will our democracy hold? It's shaken our confidence um, in our church. Can the church speak to the most pressing 
and difficult issues uh, that we face in our day? Can we have a roundtable discussion and talk about things and really enact real change? We've lost confidence in our ability to project anything into the future. And this shaken confidence is really, it's upsetting because everybody wants to be confident, right? You're sitting here right now, maybe you're a college student or a teen or somebody, and you're like, I just, I just wish I was more confident. I wish I was like this guy who could just walk into a room and just feel so confident. I wish I had the confidence to talk to my parents about changing majors because I don't want to be an accounting major. Nobody wanted to be an accounting major. I wish I had the confidence to be able to talk to him or her and, and, and tell that person how I really feel. And I wish I had the confidence to be able to quit my job and start a new business or finally retire. I wish I was more confident, right? Confident people are attractive to us. There's, there's some sort of magnetism to confident people, but confident people also make grave errors of judgment, right? The church used to say, I'm confident that the world is flat and that the earth is the center of the universe. I'm confident that this virus will be over by the summertime when the warm weather hits. Um, you know, there's, there's something about confidence that's attractive, right? There's Maria in The Sound of Music who famously saying, I have confidence and confidence alone, which is a movie that my family has enjoyed watching in the pandemic. The question really, though, as we look at this text from God's Word, is not whether or not you have confidence. The real question for the most important things in life is in what, in what are you placing your confidence? When it comes to the most ultimate questions, questions that are fundamental to being a human being in this world, like who am I? Is there a God? If there is, what is he doing about all that I see that is wrong with the world and in me? What, what's happening here? Uh, is there any reason that I have confidence to be able to believe that I'm going to be okay? Um, you'll find a great deal of people out there that say confidence um, is not possible about such things. You'll also find people who think that, uh, oh, we, that act confident, but you scratch beneath the surface and you see they don't really have reasons for why they're confident. They're just sort of acting like they are. And the question that Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, uh, is a question that's very relevant to us today. It's of great importance to Restoration Southside. And it's this, it's in the face of the inevitable suffering and hurt in the world, and also in the face of your own mortality, that, that one day you will face death. Can you, should you, how can one have any kind of confidence that it'll all work out for you? That everything is going to be okay? How can you command a people to have joy when the fragile world feels like it's crumbling or when you yourselves are locked in prison? How can that be? Well, there's, there's two choices, broadly speaking, that Paul sketches out in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about self-confidence, which he calls confidence in the flesh. And he talks about confidence in Christ Jesus. So those are the two things we're going to evaluate quickly from Philippians chapter 3 together this morning. First, confidence in self or confidence in the flesh. In verses 2 and 3, Paul gives a warning to the church in Philippi. If you have your scripture, you can look there. He says, he says watch out for the dogs. Now, this is not talking about your four and two Georgia Bulldogs who are making some noise 
in the SEC East before they ran into the Gators last night. It's not those kind of dogs. Dogs was a a negative term, a a word you could call somebody in the ancient Near East uh, to put them down. Paul was saying, watch out for these people, these dirty dogs, who are coming into your congregation and acting like they're so righteous, that they are very pure, that they have it all together. Watch out for people that try to mix something with the gospel of Jesus. Now, you have to understand what's going on in the historical context of this church in Philippi. There is this group called the Judaizers uh, because they were of Jewish descent. And they're like reflecting on this idea that God in the Old Testament had visited the Jewish people. He had, he had come to Abraham, to Father Abraham, who had many sons, and gave him a special sign called circumcision. And he said, I want you to circumcise your, your male children on the eighth day, and that way you will be distinct amongst the other nations, and you will know that God's special favor is upon you. Now, when Jesus comes, that circumcision of the flesh, where they're replacing their confidence in, has been replaced by a circumcision of the heart. That instead of being cut in the flesh, now you're cut in the heart. That you trust in Jesus. And this is something that the prophets in the Old Testament were looking forward to, or pointing forward to the day, when in order to get right with God, it wasn't some external ritual or modification that you made, but it was an internal belief in the heart. And we'll talk a little bit about more of that, about that later. This group was saying, hey, Jesus is good. You should trust him. But you also need to do this other thing called circumcision. If you want to be super special, extra righteous, you need to do this thing. Now, Paul really, really, really strongly opposed anybody that added anything to the gospel. That's like a theme throughout all of his writings in the New Testament. He freaked out when any group was saying, Jesus good plus this other thing. It really bugged him. He was what I call a gospel purist, okay? Now, I am a brownie purist. I like Betty Crocker triple chunk brownies, and I don't like anybody putting nuts in my brownies, right? This is the 21st century. We don't need to randomly sprinkle nuts in our chocolate and pretend like it tastes good. We've moved on as a people. We can just have regular chocolate. It's delicious. We don't need nuts in them. Now, that's the kind of thing that Paul doesn't want you to mix anything into the good stuff, right? If, if Jesus is there being offered uh, as your righteousness, which we're going to get to in a second, Paul does not want the church, he doesn't want you, he doesn't want me, he doesn't want any person to be confused, to think that there's anything you need to add to make yourself better to Jesus. So his, his like gospel radar is going on, going off, and he's taking this opportunity to describe self-confidence. He's saying this, this group is boasting in these things that they can do uh, to, f- to feel good about themselves, to feel confident about themselves. And so he's like, okay, you want to play that game? Is that your plan? If anybody has any reason to boast or to be confident in the flesh, to have self-confidence, it should be me. I'm an apostle. Uh, and then he kind of gives this list, right? If you're looking at your scriptures in verse five and six, he's like, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, right? I, I kept every single law. As, to the, as for zeal, a persecutor of the church, I took it very seriously. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like you cannot find a thing 
wrong with me, Paul says. I'm from the right family. I followed the right rituals. I went to the right school, right? I've, I've done all this. I deserve it. I'm not like those other people. I didn't take shortcuts. Now, if you're honest with yourself, you should be able to hear something of yourself in here. Because what Paul is doing is he's sort of exploring this universal human tendency for us to posture ourselves and present and compare ourselves to other people. You may not think you're the greatest person in the world, but you're better than those people, right? Uh, and he's, he's kind of exposing this tendency that we have to look at our accomplishments, our own pedigree. For you, it might be thinking, I voted for the right candidate, not like that other political wacko, regardless of which way you went, right? You might be thinking, I have been faithful to my spouse, unlike that person over there. I studied hard for my SAT or entrance exam or board exam. This other person cheated or took shortcuts. Um, I give it all, helping to take care of my aging parents, unlike my brother who never helps out, right? All these different strategies that we do, that we look to, to, to puff ourselves up. Paul says, there is no, you, you cannot puff yourself up enough in order to make yourself good and right and know that everything's going to work out. That self-confidence is actually a bad strategy when it comes to the most ultimate questions in life. Paul says, I can beat you in the name game. I, can, I come from the right family of good stock. I'm a good person. But when it comes to the most important questions, finding joy now in the face of a world that is broken or having hope for the life that is to come amid all the uncertainty that comes with endings and death. When it comes to those questions, all of this boasting, all of this self-confidence and your rituals or what you've done, all of those things, Paul says, are rubbish in the, in the translation given in our text, which, which is like a nice word that we don't use very much, uh, that really the Greek word scholars say is more like dung or waste, some kind of excrement. It's, it's, it's trash. It's, it's worthless. You know, the, the word he's really trying to say, and so you're kind of thinking in your mind, right? Like, it doesn't count for spit. It doesn't count for nothing, right? This is, this is why many of you actually have come to worship this morning at Restoration Southside, is that you're looking for something that you can count on. It's worth something. You're looking for something that you can hang on to that won't fail you, that won't let you down. Whether you're a Christian here or you're not yet a Christian, we're all looking for that thing. So if, you, if you're here and you're following Jesus and you're wanting to grow as a Christian, one thing you could take away from this passage is that you could actually have like a reflection exercise um, with your community group or on your own journal over lunch, whatever it is, and think, what is it about myself, particularly to me, that I kind of hang on to and look down my nose at somebody else and think, well, look, I'm this person. I don't do that. And again, these things aren't necessarily bad. It's not bad to have uh, come from a good family or have a good education or follow God's laws. Like, those aren't bad things. But when used and applied to the most ultimate questions of life, how do I know I'm going to be okay? Paul says those are trash. Confidence, self-confidence counts for nothing. 
when compared to knowing Jesus. And furthermore, beyond that, confidence in yourself uh, leads to bad decisions and bad outcomes as well. Uh, one of my favorite documentaries that I've ever seen is called Grizzly Man. Some of you may have seen this. It's an older documentary now. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's worth a watch. Uh, this man, Timothy Treadwell, loves grizzly bears. It's his one passion in life. And he thinks he has a special connection to grizzly bears. He loves them. And so he decides he's going to move himself to the northern territory boundary of Alaska to protect the grizzly bears. And uh, I put protect in air quotes because they don't need protecting. They're vicious, horrific creatures. And he's going to protect the grizzly bears up there in this sort of self-anointed conservation effort. And he has some amazing video footage of bears you know, eating salmon out of river streams and up close and personal and all these kind of things. Um, you know where this is going. You haven't even seen the movie yet. Hibernation season is coming. He has no way to defend himself because he's friends with these horrific grizzly bear creatures. This is a spoiler alert, but I think you still enjoy the movie. Timothy Treadwell gets eaten by a grizzly bear. Okay, his self-confidence that he is sort of the bear whisperer didn't work when the bear got hungry. Okay, self-confidence leads to bad decisions and bad outcomes. And ultimately, it's fatal. Now, that's an extreme example. He was an interesting fellow. Uh, you may be feeling this morning some shade of this in your own life. You feel like you're doing well. You feel confident. You feel like you've sort of got the bull by the horns or you sort of have got this life figured out for a little bit. And this is why Christian community is super important. Why you need to be plugged into the church, be part of these conversations, join a community group or your campus fellowship, shout out to RUF, um, those type of things. Because it, when, you're, when you're feeling supremely confident in something, it's helpful to talk to somebody that's three months older than you or that's feeling low or someone that's three years older than you or better yet, 30 years older than you. It says, you know what? This confidence that you have in yourself or in this life, um, the world starts to turn. And you don't get to control your circumstances. Remember, Paul here is writing from prison. And things aren't always going to be up for you. So where are you going to put your confidence? What's your long-term strategy for the bigger questions in life? And, you know, you will find people that say, you know, bet on yourself. The only thing you can count on out there is yourself. You got to invest in yourself. I think the Apostle Paul this morning would tell you, don't bet on yourself, bet on Jesus. Bet on Christ. Now, many of us are not feeling confident right now because of all the things we've alluded to in this service already about just the trials and tribulations of living life in a world that is not right, that is full of pain, that is full of suffering. And you sort of feel like, how could I have confidence? Like, I'm just trying to make it another day. I don't have much confidence in anything. And it's very understandable. And glad that you're here this morning. I feel that way sometimes. Uh, the sort of idea that um, you can't have any confidence sometimes leads you to just sort of look for another person out there to grab hold of their hand, a partner or a lover, and say, you know, whatever happens, at least I have you. This reminds me of a, a lyric from a Death Cab for Cutie song, early 2000 band favorite of mine, uh, that says, you know, if heaven and hell decide that they're both satisfied, and they illuminate the nose on their vacancy sign, their vacancy. If there's no one to hold you when your love embarks, 
I'll follow you into the dark. Which is like this really angsty, like kind of beautiful love anthem. But it's also deeply disturbing. It's like if, if you can't count on anything else in life, if all you see out there is just darkness and question marks and unknown future, well, at least you have a lover's hand to hold on to, cross your fingers, and leap into the great unknown with. Friends, I want to tell you that there is a better strategy than that. That you don't just have to hope and be confident for confidence's sake, but that you actually can find real confidence for the scariest issues and problems and hurts in the world that you could ever imagine. And that confidence can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, why should you, this is kind of the second part of Paul's discourse, why should you put your confidence in Jesus? Like, like what does that mean? What does that do? What's, what does it mean to have confidence in Jesus? Sounds like a religious thing to say. What is that actually talking about? Well, he discusses this in verses eight through nine, Paul does, and he talks about gaining Christ or being found in him. And he connects it to the concept of getting righteousness. How do you get righteousness? Now, this is interesting. Remember, Paul has already done like the, hey, let's compare resume thing, right? He's like, look, if you think you're righteous by what you've done, check out all the things that I've done, right? And he lists them all off. And, but he's saying here, that's not enough. All that I've done, all that I come from, all of my self-confidence counts for nothing because I lack righteousness. I'm short. I, I don't have enough. I'm, you know, I'm in debt. I, I, I need righteousness. It's not in me. I need another's righteousness. I need to borrow someone else's righteousness. And he says, the beauty of the gospel, that that righteousness depends on faith. That the faith, of, that faith in Christ gets you Christ's righteousness. Now, if this word righteous feels old-timey to you, you're not alone. Uh, I think a, a helpful substitute term maybe that we use more in our modern day is this term enough. Think about how many times you say enough. David Zoll wrote a book about this called Seculosity. It would be worth checking out if you're interested in. He, he compares um, our longing for righteousness in this term enough. So you think about it. Have we, have we eaten well enough? Have we done enough for our kids or our parents? Have we um, had enough sleep? Have we been good enough? Have we studied enough? Have we worked hard enough? Are we enough? Is he enough? And of course, as you go through this exercise, you start thinking about, you see this word, you're going to start seeing it everywhere this week. The answer is always no. There's just that thing gnawing at you. I could have done more. I'm not enough. I haven't done enough. There's always more. There's always more to do. There's this unending appetite. There's this thirst for enoughness. And that's, that's a thirsting for righteousness. And this is exactly what Paul has found in Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul is bursting with joy. And this is like what's being talked about in these kingdom parables in Matthew 13, if you want to go look those up, where it's like a man is in a field and he finds a treasure and he's found treasure and he goes and sells everything he has to get the treasure. 
or it's a merchant who's going through this flea market looking for valuables and he, he comes across this pearl of great price and he sells all that he has to get that pearl of great price. Paul has found it. He's found the answer. He's tapped into the source where he can find real deep hope and joy and comfort in this life because he's found how to be enough. He's been found in Christ, he says. And he was lost and now he's found. He's covered by Christ. He felt exposed and vulnerable to the hardship of the world, but, but he's been covered by Jesus. He realizes that now he has Christ's resume, not his own. His own is trash. Christ's is invaluable. It's enough. So he can be in prison and rejoice. He can face the suffering of the world and rejoice. Confidence in Christ is so much better than self-confidence. The self-confidence, like we actually think we can make ourselves happy or we can make ourselves full or we can make ourselves feel like we've done enough in this life. And that's not true. It'll never be enough. And that that sort of self-confidence, Paul is saying, is a bad long-term strategy for the ultimate questions in life. Confidence in Christ is the real key to life now and for the life to come. Because whatever sort of self-confidence in your mind's eye you think that you have to bring to the table when you sort of go on the verge of that great unknown. So thinking, thinking now about facing a thing we don't talk about much, the inevitability of your death, your own mortality. You know, you've maybe heard that exercise like, what would you say you know, if St. Peter were to let you into the gate of heaven? What would you say? What would you... What would you boast about? How would you, what, would your, what would your elevator speech be? What pitch would you give of why you should let me in? There is this idea that we can sort of say, well, I've, I've gone to church or I've been a good person or you know, I've done this or that, right? This is what the Judaizers, the dogs, were messing up the purity of the gospel in the church of Philippi. And Paul says, no, that kind of confidence is not confidence at all. Instead of that sort of self-confidence, You need to have confidence in Christ, confidence in another who can carry you to the other side. This is like one of my favorite um, preacher common illustrations about uh, this man named the great Blondin in the 19th century. You may have heard about him where there's this tightrope that goes across the Niagara Falls. So he stretches this tightrope across the Niagara Falls and he's walking across and there's crowds gathering and cheering. He's this amazing daredevil. And he like walks across halfway and he flips an omelet, makes breakfast. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And he makes it to the other side. And then he takes this wheelbarrow and he pushes a wheelbarrow across this tightrope and everyone's cheering. It's incredible. And he never falls. And so his manager is like, hey, somebody jump in the wheelbarrow. He'll push you across to the other side. No volunteers. Pushes the wheelbarrow across. It's fine. A few weeks later, his manager says, I volunteer. I'll climb on your back, Blondin. Carry me across. And so the manager, you know, gets on the back of Blondin. And Blondin's walking across the tightrope. And he's steady. He's stable. He takes him all the way. You think he's going to fall. He doesn't fall. He makes him all the way to the other side. And he carries him safely there. Now, what I, what I really want to emphasize to you from this text is the confidence that Paul is offering you in Jesus, that you don't have to close your eyes and leap into the dark when you face death or when you think about that. 
You don't have to grab the hand of a lover and say, I hope this works out, but we have no, nothing else to live for but one, but one another. And let's just cross our fingers and hope it works out. You can have certainty in an uncertain world. You can have confidence if you know Christ. You don't have to just remind yourself and rehearse all the good things that you have done to hope that you're enough. You don't have to tell yourself, I'm a hard worker. I've done the best I can. I just hope it works out. You can have confidence if you are in Christ. Paul says there is a righteousness and enoughness that comes by faith and that Christ will carry you to the other side. He will safely carry you there. Yes, you will face suffering. Yes, you will face even death. We all will, but in Christ, there is the defeat of even death. And this is where he ends in verse 11. He, he talks about eternal resurrected glory. He says, give it all away in order that you may attain the resurrection by any means possible, which means put away your boastings and put your confidence in Christ. The, the greatest person in the whole world, who do you think the greatest person in the whole world was? Huh? Think about it. The greatest person ever in history is a, is a little speck in, in the grand scheme of eternity. A tiny little speck of sand, right? Eternity is a weird thing to think about. Kind of throws us off sometimes. But think about that. The, the, the greatest person in the world is like a little speck of sand compared to eternity. That truth, that reality, leads you either to deep despair, man, we're just nothing, or it leads you to profound worship because Jesus is the eternal Son of God who can carry you to the other side. The difference between boasting in yourself and boasting in Christ there's a difference between despair and worship, between prison and freedom. So if you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, get in a wheelbarrow. He can give you confidence to safely make it to the other side. Don't put your confidence in yourself for the most ultimate of questions. And if you're here today and you're thinking that that sounds great for like the distant future, but I'm hurting now. I have real problems now. I need help now. First of all, you're in the right room today. Please reach out to somebody here and talk with a pastor or someone sitting next to you. This is a place to find healing and restoration in Christ. But what Paul is saying here about confidence is good news for you too because we can, we can actually be free to admit the world is not as it should be. The world is broken, but yet we can face it and we don't just have to like grit our teeth and bear through suffering and injustice and the feeling of hopelessness, but that in Christ we can actually have joy amid the sorrows of this life. Because we've been stamped with this seal that says, in Christ, you've been found. You're enough. You can have confidence that you're enough because of Jesus that depends on faith. So, Restoration Southsiders, are you brave enough not to close your eyes and jump into the dark, 
But are you brave enough to quit fooling yourself with the self-confidence that you use to, to puff yourself up and look at Jesus as your only hope, as your only source of real confidence? I pray that you will find confidence in Jesus and discover joy in him. I pray you will throw, all away, throw, throw away all the confidence you have in yourself for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are doing an amazing work of healing and restoration in this world. We are grateful that we are participants of it, that you are making all things new. God, I thank you that there is a righteousness that depends on faith, that we can have confidence in a world where our confidence feels shaken so much because of the uncertainty of events that surround us globally and personally in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Pray that we can find healing and hope in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.